Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Tech Time. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summersf1.co.uk, the technical side of Formula One, and MissedApexPodcast.com. We live F1. Today's episode is called Damning with faint praise. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined in the podcasting shed by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, you know, very casual. It's not like the busiest time of year for me or anything like that. You're not going to make me have the argument. Musicians are never busy. You have a job you love. You've never worked a day in your life. Okay, then. How hard can blowing into a pipe be? Yeah, today was a teaching day. How hard can hurting an 11-year-old around? Fair enough. It's it's a huge week, by the way, this week, Matt. It's a huge week this week for Missed Apex Podcast. I mean, coming up on Monday, we've got the e-radio show, which is all our stable. And I think I'd like to tell the listeners that the new host of e-radio show, for at least the foreseeable future, is our very own Matt Trumpets. Wait, what? Yeah. I've been meaning to tell you, this is the place to tell you, you have to do that now. Oh, yeah, that's great. I have so much extra time. Yeah, no, actually, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. And I get to work with everybody's favorite, Rainbow Sparkles, who actually goes to some races now. So it's like proper reporting and stuff. Yeah, he is. That boy is going places. Who'd have thought it? I nearly binned him several times, but no, he, he looks he's looking legit, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Yeah, and you're a perfect fit to to host the e-radio show, so I'm looking forward to being a part of that as well. Um, what else have we got coming up? Oh, so if you're listening to this before Monday, oh, we've only got, you know, Inside F1 with Joe Sayward coming on the Missed Apex feed. I had a chat with him last night. Wait, wait, how do you say that again? Sayward. I said it correctly both times. So it does rhyme with wayward then. I was right. I think I said, I think I got away with the pronunciations last night, but it was a great chat. It was a, an absolutely fantastic chat with him. Uh, not at all really what I was expecting. I, I could, I'm not saying he's old. 
but he is a stalwart of Formula One journalism. And I could have sat under the tree and listened to stories from Uncle Joe, you know, all evening. So it was it was a good time. There you go. Stories with Uncle Joe would be a great time. Yeah, maybe we should change it. It's not too late. A return of Wafflecast is coming as well midweek. You get to uh, play with Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens again. Except this time, he's going to be producing a show on this actual feed. But, like I said with Joe, Chris, don't mess this up. We believe in you, kind of. Okay? So... Anyway, for those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you your race reviews before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background, or in the car, or at work. Guess who we've got on to talk about tech? Our very own. We're claiming him uh, from summersf1.co.uk, and technical analyst at motorsport.com it's matthew summerfield hey summers good evening gentlemen how are you very very good guys the people listening to this matthew summerfield is a legit technical writer for motorsport.com you're welcome you know i'm gonna take the credit for him being here Uh, it's a real treat to have you summers we appreciate your time loads of tech news this week a huge amount of tech news and no i really appreciate the platform that you give me as well spanners it's brilliant thank you yeah you probably do get more out of it than us thinking about it all right let's move on to the big dirty news big dirty news okay someone here has written in the notes ferrari versus mercedes versus force india what trumpets what are you playing at Well, you know, it's one of those things. On Friday, Ferrari were nowhere. On Saturday, they were everywhere. And we know they changed the tire pressures. But James Allen reported, no, really, that wasn't it. And so I was making some notes and I thought about it. And I suddenly realized that Force India's Hall of Points, with Verstappen being taken out of the race, suddenly meant that Red Bull had to be looking in their mirrors, which is kind of an unusual position for them. So I had to add them to the discussion. Yeah, and obviously it's mainly down to tyres in terms of Force India. Um, they have got a very, very good chassis. Um, and obviously they have the, the the best power unit in terms of the Mercedes in the back of their car. But uh, yeah, it's a very much a tyre-related situation with Force India, I always find. And they have seem to have two drivers that are, are very good at extracting performance from those tyres and also over a stint length as well. And I think that's high praise to Ocon, who's... Not really a rookie, but uh, sort of a rookie this season. Yeah. Now, did they not revise um, the nostrils a little bit? And and more to the point, it, we had heard earlier in the season that they'd been having, much like Red Bull, some correlation issues. So can I, can we assume those have been properly sorted now and they're starting to get the updates they were looking for? Yeah, well, I think there's several things there. You, you have to remember that Force India are a team that have moved into the the, the wind tunnel in Cologne um, rather than their own tunnel there back at Brackley. Um, and it's they're now operating on a 60% scale rather than uh, a sort of uh, 50% scale that they had at their own tunnel. And re- in reality, their 50% scale wasn't even truly modelled um, at 50%. So, yeah, it's... It's a lot to do with the the fact that they're working with a tunnel that they're not used to. So that, that might cause some of those correlation issues. And also, yeah, just as we've had heard of Red Bull's correlation issues, there's also problems in terms of modeling these tires this year. Some have done better than others. Right. Well, you had mentioned in one of your articles, which I will now bring up to make me sound smart, that in particular, the 
the fact that the tires have changed size after so long means the team didn't have the teams don't have reliable data when they're not sure which way to lean when they're looking at wind tunnel results. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the cars are now two meters wide, and that hasn't been the case since 1998. Uh, that's the last time. Well, 1998 was when the the, the, the narrower cars were introduced. Um, and obviously, we were less dependent on wind tunnel and certainly didn't have CFD in those days uh, to look at. So, yeah, it's it's a totally different ball game. And obviously, the wind tunnel dimensions themselves haven't changed. So we're, we're talking about mathematical models here rather than uh, a pure physicality of the, the wind tunnel as well. Right. Now, so Force India look to be a real a real well force for the for the for the remainder of the season relative to where they were but the real story had to be uh ferrari and mercedes in particular how did ferrari claw back all the time they seem to be missing on friday well i think predominantly you have to look at tires in that situation and the tire pressures um that has a quite a significant bearing on the setup of the car we also know that ferrari tend not to run it at their true pace in terms of the power unit uh, as well on a friday um i know mercedes don't either but i i think performance wise looking at friday sometimes is isn't actually indicative of what we may see on a saturday um and you've also got the wind conditions as well to think about in barcelona that's quite a a key key area for performance now that's a really interesting thing you've said there because honestly friday practice and it's 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 the run two isn't it where they do their race pace things everyone always thinks they know what is going to happen in the race by quoting the race pace statistics i think is it on amos uh they they promote those things so are you telling us we should really start ignoring those things I, I don't I don't say ignore. I just think that there's there's finer lines to look at, and certainly at a place like Barcelona, where the wind can have a massive effect, um, whether it's a head or a tailwind. Um, that that you know, from one day to the next, in fact, from one hour to the next in Barcelona, you could have a situation where it has a massive effect on the way that the car performs, and certainly when you have aero sensitivity on cars like the the Mercedes and the Ferrari, um, I think that that really is going to have a a big effect on those those kind of cars right so so uh, now james allen had reported and we saw the storyline from ferrari that no 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 it's nothing to do with the pressures at all but really you're saying it was the pressures no i'm not saying it's directly the pressures there's so many small minute de- details in formula one isn't there but pressures have quite a huge significant amount of performance differential um, even when we're talking about half a PSI. And the problem stems back from last season where Pirelli started to increase the tyre pressures dramatically, almost to a point where we were looking at tyre pressures that were indicative of a car for, that we would use on the road, let alone a racing tyre. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that really does have some bearing on performance, especially in terms of the way that you would bring the tyre into its operating window. And that is essential to getting the performance. We all know and we've all seen this season how drivers have to really manage their outlap to get the best from the tyre for the qualifying lap, for argument's sake. Yeah, and it causes oftentimes problems on those outlaps when different cars have different needs and they're directly in front of or behind each other. So let's talk about maybe Mercedes a little bit, because like, you know, we talked a lot about Ferrari and a little bit about Force India. What did Mercedes bring? Because they brought the big development relative to Ferrari. They, what did they bring? Yeah. They brought Sorry. Lewis Hamilton. That's who they brought. Okay, I'll get back in my box. <laughs> Hamfosi, hashtag 44. 
<sighs> That's the only bit where where Spanners is interested, isn't it? When when there's mention of Lewis. Yeah. Oh well, <laughs> we could mention Lewis because he did a thing, and I'm really curious to get your opinion on. He said after the race, he ran without a drinks bottle to save weight. Do you think the FIA is going to continue to allow drivers to do that? Well, we're, we're sort of bordering on that same situation we had a few years ago where drivers were forced to go on massive diets in order to be able to get underneath the minimum weight. And this is kind of bordering on that same kind of ludicrous situation. Um, but the problem we've always got is the fact that these cars keep getting heavier and heavier and heavier. So we're now at 729 kilos. If we allow another five kilos for the drinks bottle and a few ancillary bits that they're moaning about, before we know it, it'll be over under 800 kilos and sort of near an LMP1 car. Um, and I, th- I just think that we have to... Ross Braun and the, the team that are going to be bought in by Liberty Media are going to have to rectify the weight issue. But that's a that's a topic that we've, we've got onto in the past as well. Uh, yes, Banners. Oh, just a chat room question from Blackout19. There's been a lot of talk about the contact patch only being slightly larger than 2016. Pirelli are now lowering the pressures. Does this take them into the intended window for the 2017 uh, changes? I'm paraphrasing. Okay. Okay, so so there's there's several things to think about there. Um, contact patch is obviously the the bit of the tire that is on the ground effectively, and everybody thinks that that contact patch has grown significantly because the width of the tire has gone up by twenty five percent. Yeah, I well that. we have, yeah, th- which it has. There's no getting around that factor. But you have to remember that the tire, in terms of its length, has not changed. So the percentage that you get in terms of contact patch is actually very minimal. We're talking less than 5%. And how does that affect tyre squirt? Okay, you're playing bingo again, I respect. Yeah, I'm Um, I'm actually playing with the chat room. (laughs) Okay. Well, this year, tyre squirt isn't so much of an issue because the tyres, from a structural uh, perspective, are actually a a little bit uh, more structurally... um, they're not as complex, so they, they don't deform as much, let's say, um, under load. So you don't have as much of that, but it's still an element that they have to deal with in terms of the way that the wake is generated from the tyre and it pushes into the, the, the diffuser. Thanks for letting us divert to the chat room. I'll let you get on just in a second, but to tell you that Blackout19 just apologised. Sorry, had to rewrite that to fit the 200 character limit. It wasn't proper English. See, it wasn't me stuttering. It was that that man in the chat room made a fool of me. And uh, Tio in the chat room says, it would not be bad to surgically cleanse the abdominal cavity of the driver because in that period, the race, he doesn't need a digestive tract anyway, leaving only those organs for basic functions. When is it going to stop? Let the drivers bring water bottles. <laughs> that's, that some, a- that's some serious weight saving going on there. But By the way, but to you, Matt. There's, I, there's uh, a lot of you don't need during a race, let me tell you. I, I, honestly, I honestly think it is ridiculous. You've got to mandate a water bottle. It, it only takes one lad to pass out and crash into a wall and cause an accident before they're going to then go back and everyone is going to claim that they had said. But, you know, this is the time to prevent very easily preventable accidents. Not drinking water is highly dangerous. So I know that one thing that was supposedly new, at least in, in, in Lewis's engine, which will make spanners happy, was the gearbox casing. Now, I had heard, I'd seen it reported that it was several kilograms lighter but we had the Wolfinator coming out and saying that, no, really, we're talking grams, not kilograms. Do you have any numbers for us? Or do you have any insight on that? We don't have any numbers, unfortunately. Um, I've asked the question 
via proxy, obviously, as I wasn't in the pit lane, unfortunately. But according to my sources, James Allison tells us that the gearbox wasn't actually changed. Um, it wasn't the casing wasn't even changed. Now we heard ahead of the race that that was a possibility. There was a lot of people speculating that it couldn't couldn't be done because they would then take gearbox penalties because they would take a gearbox early. But Mercedes run a gearbox casing with a cassette, so they could have cha- made that change if they'd have wanted to. And like you say, Matt, there, it could be in the kilogram range if they wanted to make an update. Um, but even if they did, they're saying that it was in the gram range rather than the kilograms. And on top of that, the the, the problem that I heard that Mercedes was having is that they actually over-stiffened the suspension mountings on their gearbox for this year, thinking that the loads would be higher. Now, based on the fact that they bought a B-specification car to Barcelona that has more loads to be put through the gearbox, they may have decided to defer a new gearbox casing to manage those loads. Okay, then. So this is something we might see in the future, but did not make an appearance because they're being conservative, as as one might expect, when reliability is going to play such an important role in the uh, championship. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've been told that the Mercedes is overweight and it's five to six kilos overweight. So and that's the reason why we're hearing of a gearbox case impossibility and the fact that Lewis is not obviously uh, t- taking a drinks bottle. Um, but five kilos in in the grand scheme of things we're talking half a second in lap time if we're putting it as a direct correlation so i'm not convinced that we're actually five five to six kilos up on the mercedes but you know time will tell because they'll shed that weight if if they are well they could have used that half second during the first stint that's for sure definitely um i wanted to ask too you mentioned ross braun and the technical regulations going forward there was some news there too, wasn't there? Yeah, so so basically we've had a situation today, I've had a press release through, uh, whereby uh, the Formula One management have allowed um, or, or made some signings as such. And this is all to do with Ross Braun sort of overtaking working group or uh, the working group to to find out what ne- where we're heading for the next regulation set. So on board with Formula One management now is Jason Somerville, who used to work at Williams as their head of aero um, and has been replaced by Dirk De Beer, who left Ferrari last year. Um, and they've taken on board... Um, Craig Wilson as head of vehicle dynamics. So they're moving on. This is certainly something we never saw under Bernie. You know, this is a team of people, a team of engineers that are going to sort of be against the teams when formulating regulations. Well, you say against the teams, but I think also possibly having the ability to argue from authority, which certainly Bernie and his crew have have not had not possessed. So there's a there's a question again surprisingly, from Blackout 19, about the wheelbase. There had been some talk that Mercedes was going to change its wheelbase. Did we ever get any confirmation of that, or do we know any specifics? No, and we've talked about this in the past, and wheelbase is one of those situations where uh, you kind of locked yourself in with your aero choices. Um, So I don't see them changing the wheelbase in reality, just based on the fact that this aero update that they've just done is very specific to the wheelbase that they've already got. You start talking about changing the wheelbase by 20 to 30 centimetres, which is the minimum that they would have to do. Um, you're going to have to have a massive aero uh, rate of war to to account for that. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see a wheelbase change in the near future uh, is the answer to the question. Mind right. if I interrupt with a plug, Trumpets? Yeah, no, I've got right there. Okay. Summers, I just want to make sure, Summers, that as a reward for your amazing tech stuff, we send some of our informed, tech-minded, intelligent listeners over to where you do stuff. Uh, are you still posting on summersf1.co.uk? Actually, Spanners, I don't post there as often as I used to. Um, I, I actually do a few guest blogs for yourself, which I've failed to do the last couple of races, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but mainly most of my work you find on motorsport.com and you can go to the Giorgio Piola page. Um, I post under there alongside Giorgio. Um, and obviously the best place really to find me is on, on Twitter, Summers F1. Um, and I post most of my stuff there and, and you can obviously follow outwards from there. Obviously, Piola is a, a stalwart of technical journalism in Formula One. You have a good relationship with him. You think he's a nice guy. He treats you like a father, sits you on his knee. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. Um, but there, there is some times where it's a bit lost in translation. Obviously, Giorgio is an Italian. Ah, um, so he speaks mostly with his hands. So that must get confusing. It does when you're not on video, yeah. We have some fast, fantastic rapport on WhatsApp uh, because we use that whilst he's in the pit lane um, and, and that can that can get a bit heated at times. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, what a privileged position you're in and I'm very sure that, you know, one of these days you're going to be exactly as big as he is, which is why we stay friends with you here. Uh, so thank you very, very much for appearing on Missed Apex Podcast. Guys, I'd urge you as well to follow me and Matt at MattPT55. The show is at Missed Apex F1. And I am at Spanners Ready. Follow me. Surely I'm the best one. Come on, you can do it. Right. So before we move on from the front runners, is there any other updates that Mercedes or Ferrari brought that you feel compelled to talk about that are, are really worth the time of day? Yeah, the, well, the, the the update that I really wanted to talk about was the Mercedes new nose, um, because that was something that was of massive interest over the weekend. Um, they actually had to pass a new crash test to take that, that nose to Barcelona. And I have a feeling that this was actually supposed to be on the car come the first race, and they couldn't pass the crash test for some known, unknown reason. Um, it is a very aggressive development. And it's something we've never seen before um, in terms of the turning vanes that are underneath it. But firstly, the nose that they had to that they had to recrash test is narrower than the old one. Um, anybody that's in the Patreon group, um, I put some pictures in the in in there on the on the uh, Patreon group, the tech group. Go to www.mistapexpodcast.com and pick the Patreon and Contact Us tab to support the show financially. Everything is appreciated. And yes, we do have a thread in our Slack group that you'll get invited to that Summers is a part of. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll back away. <laughs> yeah, the, the it, in that page there, I've put up a few pictures today just as a bit of reference. Um, and basically, there's the, the picture of the nose, which is much narrower. There's new camera mounts, which are displaced from the side of the nose, a trick that was supposed to have been stopped for this season. And then we have what the team called the Super Cape Ted. Uh, Super Ted Cape, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, but I, I, I prefer to call it the Stingray um, because from underneath... It actually looks like a stingray, which is rather pleasing from an aerodynamic point of view, uh, because I quite like the shape of a stingray. The chat room is asking if the nose is there to reduce weight as well, and it does look narrower. 
It is narrower, yes, but the the difference with that nose is is the 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 reason it's there it, and and narrower is because of the cape or or the the uh, the, the uh, turning vein that I've just mentioned. You need that that narrower nose to make that aero appendage work. Now, in the past, I recall Red Bull having crash test issues and them testing the nose something like seventy or eighty times in order to get it passed. Any idea how many times this one had to go before it made the grade? We haven't heard any fewer leaks from Mercedes than Red Bull then. I haven't heard, to be perfectly honest, Matt, is, is the answer to the question. I don't know how many crash tests I had to go through to, to get there. Um, but in terms of the deceleration of the that structure, they have got more to play with now because the rules specify that that, that section has to be 200 millimeters longer than it used to be so in in terms of crash structures unless it's a very 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 complex area they should be able to get it through relatively quickly unlike the one that red bull were were trying to get through in the past right so the extra length then makes it a bit easier for them to meet the specification in the regulations that's right because it's for it allows the nose to travel further and decelerate more uh, so that they can get past the crash test Right then. So, so, and now as, as far as those turning veins, what is the expected benefit of that? Are, are we looking mainly at downstream air? Or are we looking at separating air, getting it more into the diffuser? Uh, what, what, what is really going to, how is it really going to make a difference for them? Well, it's sort of like a splitter. So, so effectively it's dividing the air. Um, you're making a high and a low pressure area. And obviously, you want the low pressure area under the nose. Um, so at the tail of the, this area, it's sort of almost like a mini diffuser. Now, obviously, it can't work like a diffuser because it's not at the the sort of ground height that it needs to to work that air. But it will create vortices that will manipulate uh, the Y250 vortex, which I got a question about earlier, actually. And if anybody wants to YouTube uh, Y250 vortex Red Bull, you'll see a video of what the Y250 Vortex is. Um, there's a there's a video there with Steve Matchett explaining it. Can I see if I remembered it from a while ago? Is this basically the bit where the air from the top meets the air from all the bottom and the other bits, so you don't want the air meeting in a fluffy way because it will create a vacuum and drag? Okay, so the Y250 Vortex... I said it so is... badly you've had to add a section. Yes. Yeah. The Y250 vortex is where the neutral central section of the wing meets the flapped section, the outer flap section. So those two sections have very different um, pressure zones and they cause a rotation of the air, which is a vortex. And it's a very controlled vortex that again can be controlled further down the car um, to areas like the barge boards, the floor, the under the side pods. Um, it, it's the most commonly known vortex in it because it's called a Y250 because it's 250 millimeters away from the car center line. Wow, that was boring. Carry on. Thanks, Spanners. Oh, by the way, thanks for coining the Spanners effect. Uh, the look of uh, a puzzlement coming over someone's face when you try and explain F1. Thanks for that, buddy. <laughs> That's okay. I thought, I thought you'd like that one. Everybody can coin that now. I've got the spanners effect. Let's talk tech. All right, I'm busy. I'm busy copying yet another potential comment of the day. This one from Blackout19. He's banned, but okay. Really, really makes my life difficult by having so many good comments. Copying yeah, so, it, fixing it, so, move on. 
So those turning vanes realistically are all about conditioning the airflow from the nose, under the car, around the side pods, through the barge boards. There, It's a very, very neat piece of engineering from Mercedes. And again, something that we've never seen before. And I think something that all of the other teams will at least be looking at. Um, but whether they can copy it is another matter. Yeah, because it's going to be, again, can I get that nose that narrow? Because otherwise it, it doesn't work. Yeah, and, and Mercedes run a, ran a particularly narrow nose anyway when you compare them to many of the others on the grid. All right, so does that do, or have we done with the front runners then? Is there anything else of interest? No, I think we're, I think we're there with the front runners there, Matt. All right then, so let's move on to the eponymously titled section, damning with faint phrase, Red Bull and McLaren. So obviously for McLaren, it was kind of a brilliant Saturday final. E7. I mean, this is about as good as one can do without a Mercedes engine, and certainly the best that a Honda has done. Did we not get a similar performance from Alonso last in the last time at Barcelona, though? Did he not seemingly pull out the, a magnificent qualifying lap in in Barcelona last season? Um, I think there's something very specific about the way that he's able to extract the time from from the car at, at that particular circuit. And if you look back at the onboard that Formula One actually put up on their Twitter feed, you can actually hear from the onboard that it's very binary in the way that he applies the throttle. It's either very on or very off. And I think that's indicative of where the the power unit is and in terms of where the chassis is. So basically, he's either leaning on the car in the corners or he's down mashed on the pedal. Right. So so are you suddenly saying that the chassis is not all that? Because we've been seeing the argument being made that give them a better power unit and they would be much closer to the sharp end of the grid. But do you think they really have some ways to go with their chassis as well? No, no. I think the chassis is very, very good. I mean, you have to consider that Barcelona is very much a chassis circuit more than, say, a, a power unit circuit. Um, but what I'm saying is, is there's that trade-off between the, the power unit and the chassis and he was maximizing what the chassis could do in the corners and what the power unit could offer in the straights um and you know i i think from an energy point of view from a tire warm-up point of view i think he just absolutely nailed it on that lap and it was just one of those stellar performances that alonso tends to drag out of a machine that he shouldn't be able to all right then and uh, my point was much simpler, is that everyone was excited over P7. But, I mean, come on, guys. We're talking about McLaren. How far have they fallen that P7 yes. is exciting? I agree. I, I didn't enjoy that. Ouch. And, of course, then there's Red Bull. Red Bull, who talked big words often about all the many things and how close they would be. But once we looked at the end of the race, they seem to be pretty much the same distance away as always. So what's going on there? Okay, so you may or may not have seen an article that I wrote for Motorsport today um, or that was released today um, in terms of the position that we find Red Bull in. And Red Bull, uh, unfortunately, have several things unfolding. Uh, They have issues in the correlation between wind tunnel, um, CFD and the real world, um, something that they've not had since 2009 when they kind of took off in terms of their ability to be able to bring updates cut to cars and and simply just 
out upgrade update teams um, in terms of performance. Um, but we've also got the the issue that seems to have been written and spoken about in the broadcast media is that everybody seems some suddenly realizing that Adrian didn't design this car. Well, Adrian hasn't been a big part of Red Bull for the last two seasons, and I'm a bit staggered that everybody thinks that it has been or that he's had much input in, at all in any of those cars. Those cars have been Dan Fallow's cars um, and Rob Marshall cars. You know, they've got a very horizontal structure at Red Bull, uh, much like we've heard talked about at Ferrari and uh, McLaren in the past. So, yeah, th- there's some some issues that I see in the background going on at Red Bull. And certainly we didn't get the B specification update that we were expecting from them in Barcelona. Right. So would we now be looking to Canada then for any any big changes from them? Well, I, I think we're actually further down the line than that. I mean, Canada will be the upgrade in terms of the power unit. But the problem is, is that from what I understand, that they kind of gave Nui the big call when they realised how much they were in trouble in terms of this season, um, to which point he, he kind of said, um, OK, I'd best get back on the uh, on the drawing board and see what we can do. And this latest update is really just a, refining the, the concept that they've already got um, and going beyond that further down down the stream um they've got to really complicate the car to get to get much more from it because of the suspension clarification this car was realistically built around a, a very different suspension yeah but it, it's more than that maybe uh, i'm gonna ask your opinion mm-hmm. in that the wings are wider and lower the tires and cars are wider and lower the shape is now a delta shape fundamentally which is not something it's not a playground they had been playing in and all along red bull's trick it seems to me from from, from reading and, and learning has been to extract with less drag more downforce to balance out the way the renault power unit worked especially in the v8 era Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
ChumbaCasino.com/acast. And aside from the fact they've not been able to, uh, Renault has yet to catch up, which we shouldn't be surprised if you look at how long the V8 era ran. They're kind of about where you might expect them to be. But the difference is Red Bull, uh, and I think you're right about, you know, you mentioned the suspension, which had, could not have been easy for them, but they don't seem to be able to pull off that same trick of getting the downforce without as much drag to balance out the power unit. Is that, is that really where they are? Yeah, you know, last season they sort of stumbled across towards the end of the season the, this trick whereby they used dynamic rake, i.e. they were flattening the car at high speeds in order to to stall areas of the car and, and completely reduce the drag, well, not completely, but dramatically reduce the drag on the car um, to, to obviously enable the fact that they've got less power unit uh, efficiency. So, yeah, I, I do feel that it's a, it's a problem in terms of, the chassis versus the power unit, yeah, very much so. But obviously, the the suspension clarification for myself is part of the, one of the biggest part or the biggest reason why we see them in the situation they are now because they can't use this sort of dynamic rake that we saw from them at the end of last season. So, is there anything anything else worth discussing with uh, Red Bull or McLaren? I know McLaren had a new front wing. Very, 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 very similar to their old front wing, but they did change the uh, end plate canards. So the, there's, there used to be a single canard there, and now there's three. And that's all about the way in which that you move the airflow around the outside of the front tyre, and then how that manipulates the wake um, in terms of the rest of the car. So you're moving airflow at the front of the car to manipulate airflow towards the rear of the car. So you're helping rear end performance by actually doing something at the very front of the car. Um, so yeah, it was a fairly minor change by McLaren and they also had a, a new diffuser as well, new floor and diffuser. So they are making quite big changes to the McLaren. Um, but obviously when you sew down on power, um, it, it, it does have a big effect. It seems like it might be time for a plug there, Spanners. What gave it away? Don't know. Your shiny forehead, perhaps. The thing that makes our recordings so much fun, apart from having a great panel, is the live stream. We would love it if you would join the people in the live stream here, uh, have the fun comments, ask questions to our panel, and frankly, bail me out to make up for my lack of Formula One knowledge. Look for me, Spanners Ready, on YouTube. I will rebrand it soon to a Missed Apex podcast YouTube channel. However, I have been slack on doing that. So for now, just look for Spanners Ready on YouTube. Radio, it's got to be a matter of time, Matt. It it does. I mean, yeah, we're there, buddy. We're there. All right. So I I tell you, you know, looking back at it, Bain, the other two teams that just made me go, wait, did that just happen? Had to be Renault and Williams, but for entirely different reasons. Did you have anything for us on either of those teams? Because um, uh, Hulkenberg's result was was kind of incredible as far as the race went. Now, granted, he was helped by a whole bunch of cars ahead of him taking each other out. But even still, Renault seemed to be sort of, you know, like, again, if I was Red Bull, I would be kind of vaguely concerned a little bit at this point. Yeah, well, Renault actually had some updates for for Barcelona. Again, uh, low-hanging fruit. They went for a barge board update. Um, There's so much that can be done in that area now. So they they made changes there. Uh, But I 
seem to have an opinion on tyres again. And I know Spanners hates when we get into that whole tyre debate. But I do think that uh, a lot of the teams find performance when they start to understand the tyres better and they're able to get the tyres into the window um, and able to maintain that window. And for me, it seems that Renault are starting to do that, or at least Hulkenberg is, um, because the other Renault that's down the back hasn't got really a a clue of how to get his tyres in a window um that, that's the new plug that's the open pl- it and you shove them through that's the plug Wait, we need to oh do yeah, now though gonna work. sorry 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 trumpets i just went all over you but i was just saying now's the time to plug julian palmer's merchandise at renault which is 50 percent off that's so bad yeah I, I i can't believe that that is a a true statement um it's indicative of his performance or or is it just a just a bonus that you can get 50 percent off of his merchandise time isn't over yet let's not lose faith in him completely come on jolian you can do it well, he did pull it out last season late in the season he started turning in some reasonable performances and they have said that, that in the data they've seen he's not as far off as hulkenberg as his current performance indicate but they're only going to let you hang around so long and not score points when you have a car that can well, score points. Anyway, so 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 that's good news for for Renault then. And I'm actually I'm thinking back to to qualifying, and in particular how in the third sector Hamilton was was able to like if you start looking if you have the app, which I will always happily plug because it makes watching the race and qualifying so much more informative, even if you don't think you know what you're doing. Once you start looking at the little numbers, they all start to make sense, I promise. But you can, I remember looking and seeing that sector one, the Ferrari would be faster, sector two would be washed, but then in sector three, you would see the Mercedes really come on, and it's it's about not going, it's about the tire's performance is so specific that even over a single lap, if you don't properly manage where you put a lot of energy into the tire, you're going to be losing out when you come across the finish line. And and is that where we are with these tires? And is that the problem that Williams is yet again still also having like deja vu? Yeah, it, it, it's an understanding of the compound, isn't it? The 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 way in which that the compound reacts to, to tire temperature. And I, I think, again, it's also indicative of the fact that perhaps Williams don't have the downforce. Um, you know, the reason that they did so well in 2014 back into the hybrid era was down to the fact that they built a very slippy car, um, whereas... Now they're they're trying to load on downforce and and they can't kind of get there unfortunately and and they're struggling in terms of tire temperatures uh, which means that they're they're struggling over one lap uh, for performance as well. Righto, then I cannot read the word on your forehead, no matter how many times you try there, Spanners. Well, in that case, I'll just say it using my words. We are joined by somebody on the line to take part in the patron quiz challenge let's see if you're ready for this joining us on the line for the patron quiz is hannah hassel how are you doing hannah i'm tired ah you're like a real racing driver you're getting your excuses in very very early i know you've been studying hard and taking exams yeah yeah as levels they've not been fun okay well absolutely there is no extra points and no leeway at all for the fact that you have been taking your AS levels. So uh, what we will do is we will start with these questions that Summers did in a practice round. And I will tell you that Matthew Summerfield got five 
out of 10 for these questions. Do you think you can at least beat Summers? Probably not, but we'll have a go. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Oh, oh, hang on a minute. I had quiz music. Yes, I had quiz music. Hold on. Here we go. I'm very happy with that quiz music. I forgot quite what that was like. Okay, round one. Two points available. Which team won the 1992 Constructors' Championship? Williams. One point. Who was the chief designer of their dominant car? Newey. Adrian Newey. A cracking start. You've already levelled Charlie Brisker. Well done. Round two. Which driver embarrassingly crashed on the way into the pit lane while leading the 1995 Australian Grand Prix? I have absolutely no idea. I would have got this. uh, I'm sorry, I I was not born. No, that's fair (laughs) enough. I remember watching this with my dad as a 14-year-old. It was David Coulthard. Uh, Round three, true or false? 50-50, toss a coin. Ayrton Senna was so fast, he set the fastest lap of a race while going through the pit lane. False. It's unfortunately true in Donington in 1999, he entered the pits, but aborted the pit stop. With no speed limit, the pit lane acted as a shortcut. During the 97 season, during their close battle for the title, Michael Schumacher and Jacques Villeneuve never actually finished on the podium together. False. It's true, you coin flip the wrong way. Countries for round four, don't worry, all to play for. One more to set the record. Which nation has the most F1 champion drivers nearly gave it away. Um, is it the UK? It is the UK. That's a point for you there. Round five. Name that year. Jackie Stewart's last driver title win was in what year? 73. Wow. 1973. You get two points for the exact year. What? Right. Wow. That was very <laughs> confident. That surprised me how confident you were with that. Okay. Round six. Uh, Bernie's final double points round. Uh, it's one question, and it's worth two points. You're currently on six, so you could set a very, very high bar here. Which team has the record for the highest winning percentage, i.e. the number of wins divided by the number of races entered? McLaren. You may kick yourself when you find out that it's Braun GP with 47% of races started returning a victory. That's a fantastic question by Catman, isn't it? You have to admit that is a great question. That is an irritating question. (laughs) Hannah, you've set six out of ten on the Patreon quiz challenge. Thank you very much for your support. And I hope you enjoyed uh, being on Missed Apex Podcast. Thank you. It's been very fun. Enjoy the rest of the live stream, Hannah. Thank you very much. Boom! Out of the park it goes. Hannah, that was amazing. I wouldn't have gotten half those questions right. Thank goodness they don't ask me stuff like that on the show. She's the leader. She's the patron challenge leader. I expect nothing less from a young lady. And all our patrons are welcome to come and join us on the patron challenge. So go to patreon.com and search for Missed Apex Podcast. So uh, so as far as Williams goes, that's a, is there anything we're missing out? Did anything else happen in Spain from a technical point of view that you feel like is worth mentioning. 
The only real thing that stands out for Williams was a, a new T-wing. So they, they're, they're a team that have actually developed three now. Um, they started off with this sort of double T-wing situation where they have the one at the, the top end of the, the, the shark fin and then one place down lower. Uh, Massa ran a different one in Russia, which was a, a more angled upper winglet with a bit more cord angle. And then um, for the Spanish Grand Prix, they came out with sort of the hat, the coat hanger version, which we've seen from McLaren, uh, with sort of the loops on the end um, and quite a high cord angle again. Um, yes, Matt. No, I was going to say you've twice now used the words cord and angle, and I'm going to bet that not everybody knows exactly what those two words together mean, at least in terms of aerodynamic. Okay, so the cord is the length of the of the. Um, the appendage let's say the winglet so on these t-wings you can have a maximum of 50 millimeters it's a 50 millimeter space and obviously the angle is the more what i'm talking there is a more aggressive angle so the 50 millimeters turned upwards to to create a, a deeper cord angle to the to the winglet right and and those t-wings primarily condition the air that that go over the top of the rear wing Okay, so the, the, the T-wing actually creates its own downforce. Uh, it actually has some direct downforce. Um, it's quite efficient downforce as well. But what we're also looking at there as well is, and the reason why we see these sort of hooped ends where we see the, the hoops correct, correcting uh, to the, or connecting to the, the, the two uh, winglets, is that we see uh, it adjusting the tip vortice that's created by the rear wing. So in effect, we're using the T-wing to create less drag on the T on the rear wing itself as well, because you're trying changing the direction of the tip vortice. Right. I understood every last bit of that. <laughs> I, I spanners to be there. But yeah, no, it, it is interesting. Um, and I, I'm sorry now I can't think of the aerodynamicist who did some CFD stuff on YouTube. Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Kyle. Um, yes. It's some really great stuff about the T-wing and the vortices and how they interact with the rear wing. And if, if you do find it fascinating and you want to learn more, that's a very, very good resource to go learn some basic aerodynamics about race cars. So, yeah, Kyle, did, Kyle, Kyle has a very good channel and he does a lot of CFD work. He uses the Perrin model. Uh, which is basically, uh, I think it's sim scale, and he uses the, the the generic 2017 model, and then basically adapts it to show the different ways in which that the car works. So he's done videos on the shark fin, the T wing, and and some other bits of the car just to explain how and show visually how those things actually interact with one another. In particular, I found the uh, the vortex generator and the diffuser also very interesting to watch, just in terms of how they're meant to perform and what they really do on the car. All yeah, right, very interesting videos. There's a lot of really interesting stuff on the internet. It's amazing we ever get anything done. Well, I don't get anything done. That's my problem. Oh, but you're here now. This has to be worth something, right? Yeah, it's worth everything. Indeed. All right. So here's the last thing I want to ask you about. And and this, this again, we're going to talk about tires because Spanners has wandered off to do who knows what, where. Um, so they made a hard tire this year. And apparently the only thing it's useful for is stacking up and putting beverages on. 
So what's going on with the compounds and the sidewalls and all the other stuff that we're starting to hear so much about? And and how is it that they've made what appears to be an utterly useless hire that they then make the teams bring along anyway? Okay, so the compound choices, obviously, we have five dry weather compounds, the ultra, the super soft, the soft, the medium, and the hard. I've personally been saying for a very long time that the hard tyre is an irrelevant tyre in terms of the compound because the medium can actually achieve a a very long stint length. So you don't really need anything more than the medium in terms of uh, longevity for for degradation purposes because otherwise if you have the hard you could effectively run the whole race on, on a hard tire now everybody would love to see a force india run that that tire for an entire race but they can't because they have to use two uh compounds in a race which i find a bit unfortunate um but i think we'd see force india just run a single single tire all the way through the race in every race absolutely and speaking of people who did that sort of thing um, it was Sauber, I believe, who did a one-stopper with Pascal Verlein, taking advantage of the virtual safety car and effectively putting Sauber much further up the ladder than anyone actually expected them to be at this point. Yeah, so we got a we got a seventh or a, an eighth by the time that the penalty was applied for Pascal, and and, and a fantastic result for Sauber. And once again, a, another situation where Pascal's won out because of a, a scenario that's played out, and also the pit wall where Ruth Buscombe works for Sauber um, in terms of the, the strategy that was called there. Uh, again, I think that's a that's a situation that must be. Uh, looked into is the fact that Roof was on the on the pit wall there and and helped with that decision. I would have thought. Yeah, well, I would have thought so too, especially because this was exactly what she did with Romain Grosjean in Australia at Haas' very first race, which just kind of stunned the entire rest of the Formula One community a bit that a newcomer could show up having bought as many parts off the shelf as they could, and to get a result like that out of, out of the bag, guaranteed that they were sticking around. So, yeah, you want Ruth on your team would be my takeaway from that. You could also call it the Jensen Button strategy, i.e. just do the opposite to everybody else um, and, <laughs> hope that, and hope that it works. <laughs> no, it's not well, that you hope that it works. It's that if it does work, you shout about it. If it doesn't work, you let it quietly drift into the background. It's called confirmation bias. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, uh, you know, I have to wonder, like, you you speak of low-hanging fruit for the teams in terms of the barge boards. In terms of the sport, are these tire regulations a bit of a low-hanging fruit, something that would be easy to change, but could potentially shake up some races and make them much more, make them more interesting, because there's more strategic variation in yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the brief from Pirelli when they first came into the sport was to to create some entertainment via their uh, tyre choices. Um, Bridgestone were not as uh, open or transparent as we find with Pirelli. You know, they, they often changed their compounds, but nobody really knew that they were changing compounds. All they had to do was say that they were taking an option and a prime tyre, but they were never really the same tyres. They were changed specifically for each circuit. So I do kind of like the way in which the, the, the fans can see that there are these different compound choices. But we're right that the hard tyre is something that is irrelevant. And I think we won't see it again for the rest of the season unless uh, you know there's a particularly aggressive uh, circuit. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of being able to 
make the strategy different we we have to look to to make the tires softer and softer so ultimately you almost end up with the ultra the super and the softer every race um uh, which kind of defeats the object of having five compounds unfortunately but it might be the way to go unless obviously we need the medium for in in terms of um the um forces that are acting on the car and or the temperatures that they need to operate them into to make a stint length yeah, so I, like I, I'm still puzzling over this. We have all these different. It, it just seems to me that that they're missing a trick by not letting the teams run a single tire, by requiring them to run two different compounds. You're actually, and I don't know. I mean, do you think it could be a variable thing where if you're going to run the ultra soft, you have to run another compound, but if you pick the medium, you do not, because because we could. I mean, you know, at certain circuits, I think you could easily run a medium as you said, for a whole race. And because the other thing is the differentials Pirelli always talks about between tire compounds, which are supposed to make the strategy interesting. Oh, I could do a three-stopper with a soft or a two-stopper and, and, and go long, and, and both should come out within a second of each other. That doesn't ever seem to play out at the circuit for some reason. No, and I think that's partly to do with the fact that Pirelli don't really have the amount of data that they need to make their tyres effectively. You know, last year they were, they were in a situation where they uh, were offered mule cars by uh, the other the other teams. We had the three mule cars, and I still don't think they got the real data that they needed to, to make the tyres effectively because those cars didn't produce the amount of downforce that these cars that we've got this year do produce. So they were still having to scale in some effect. So next year, we might be able to see a better product from Pirelli in terms of where they're, where they're at in terms of being able to produce tyres that degrade in a certain way and produce performance in a certain way. So I think, yeah, this year is more of a learning model for, for Pirelli in that respect. But it is my also, also my understanding that somebody has the uh, manor cars that didn't actually race. Now, who bought those cars? Um, the rumour on the block is that FOM have them. Um, and they're going to be used by Ross to help with tyre testing and aero testing and such like. Um, but it could be Pirelli. Pirelli could have bought those cars. Um, but obviously that's a, that's a big financial commitment from Pirelli, uh, whereas I would expect it better to be coming from FOM. Right. Okay, I think it might be time for another plug there, Spanners. Do you know what? I've actually... Well, I've run out of plugs, but I am just going to... I am going to play this music. Okay, call this flippant, but if anyone is still playing Rocket League, like I'm fed up of playing with randoms and Treeface, my son, has to go to bed at 8 o'clock. So if you want to add me on Xbox Live, Spanners Ready, I'm on Xbox One, and we can hang out and play some Rocket League together if you're any good. Don't let me down. Uh, I'm going to try and have some nights, actually, where Wednesday nights, say, from half eight onwards, when the kids are asleep, and the wife is working, I'm going to get on Xbox Live, I'm going to stick my headset on, we can chew the fat a little bit, but most importantly, beat random noobs on the internet. Rocket League, for the win! Matt, is this an abuse of this microphone? Oh, probably, but at this point, who cares? I, I finished my entire drink, so it's all it's all going sideways rapidly. Summers, <laughs> what else is there? Is Have we missed out on anything? Is there, is there any big stories that are floating out there? I mean, I know there's a lot of political stories that probably were talked about with Joe. But from your point of view, what's coming up? What should we be looking at? 
Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about something that I've written about in the past and I think that would have made Spain a much more interesting race. And I know Ross has talked about DRS and ditching DRS in the past, but my opinion is the way in which DRS is used. Now, we've talked about aero wash as well in terms of the, the length of distance between the lead car and the, the rear car, the rear gunner, and how much aero wash there is and how much time there's needed to be able to make that or affect that overtake. And that's obviously changed this season. And we're still at that one second window. Now, for me, I think that that needs some investigation as to whether that distance needs to be changed for DRS. But also, I would change the way in which DRS is used and I would use it as a push-to-pass system whereby you have so many tokens per lap or so many tokens per race to use. Um, and it would make it a strategical element of racing so that the battle between Lewis and Sebastian would have actually come down to a strategy game between them. And he, he who dares goes last kind of thing with their DRS pass. Ah, that famous phrase from wartime films, he who dares goes last, sort of. Uh, isn't the danger, though, that... You know, you'll see the guy's DRS flip up in front of you and you'll know not to use yours or, or basically in the end, it will become known where they should deploy it and it will kind of neutralize it completely. But, but I'm wondering, what, what about the thing I suggested a few years back where you use the DRS to get alongside? It seems very trivial to then have something that senses your front wings are alongside and then closes your DRS. So yeah, it gets you up alongside and then it's all to play for in the braking zone. That would increase racing as a spectacle fantastically yeah but i think that comes down to the zone areas that the fia like to have you know back in i can't remember when it was but we used to have qualifying with unlimited drs so that it could be used anywhere and then suddenly red bull could use drs everywhere at suzuka they even went through r130 with drs wide open and that kind of blew it for the fia they're like we can't have this drs can't be open there um and we stopped having qualifying unlimited drs and i think that's where the fia are a bit scared of having um drs everywhere you know it's got to be within a zone and i think that's why we get to this point where um I, I I understand your idea, Spanners, and it's a good one. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a it's a problematic area for the FIA FIA in terms of you know the the drivers already alongside, so they're in the braking zone already, and they've made their move. So what's the point in closing the DRS? And by the way, James Funnel in the chat room just says, you know, but that's even more artificial. Yeah, I don't I don't care about that. What's there's nothing natural about hurtling at 200 miles an hour, blowing up bits of dead dinosaur in an internal combustion engine. It's all artificial. I don't mind. All right. Well, then I'll go you one better. And 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 F1 should look to its not so distant past and go back to the movable front wing. Another argument that I've made many, many times. It's something that, that I think Ross will look at because when he was on the overtaking working group when that was first looked at and the double diffuser really killed the front wing, movable front wing. Um, so I think that's something that they will look at, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I and mean, give, we, sorry, go ahead. I didn't. It just, give, just give them another tool, to the driver, another tool to work with. I, I don't care about things being artificial. It's all about the driver having the ability to race the other driver. The reason that DRS seems like a falsehood to most people is because the other driver has no defense from it. If both drivers could use DRS, they use their one for the lap or their two for the lap, then you know sooner or later, one of them will run out and you'll end up in a situation where 
the the better driver overtakes the other driver. So for me, it more, would be more of a tactical battle if there was a number of uses per per race. Yeah. So I think if I could I could sort of take a bigger view of what you're saying is in essence what we want to do is give the tools to the driver but put it in the driver's hand to deploy them properly. So something like a front wing you could deploy when trailing or limited number of DRS uses per race, then it starts to get very tactical. If you're a Mercedes passing lap traffic, do I deploy the DRS to get round a Force India? And if I do, how's that going to impact me after the last set of pit stops when I'm chasing a Ferrari? Yeah, that's that's exactly where I'm going. Basically, I like to see that that the tools given back to the drivers. For me now, the reason it's artificial is because it's it's outside of the driver that is in the lead. It's he it, it has no control over his destiny. He can't defend because he doesn't have the tool to defend against the person that has DRS. And that's where the artificial artificiality comes from. Most people. I love your accent, Summers. And as people in the Slack group were saying, they now read your articles with your accent or worse, they read it with my impression of your accent, which I have to say that does happen to me. Uh, How about my my version of you doing my accent? <laughs> oh, no, he's broke the front wing. <laughs> I heard no difference from how you normally talk. Uh, Matthew, I think we are running out of time for Tech Time this week. It's been a massive week for tech. Uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, putting together this Tech Time show. Certainly something that I wouldn't be able to put together myself. Matthew, are you prepared to award this week's comment of the week? I don't know. I think I might need some help with this one because we have a number of lovely contenders, starting with Teo who quipped early on and still possibly the front runner, would not be bad to surgically cleanse the abdominal cavity of the driver (laughs) because in that period race, he does not need a digestive tract anyway, leaving only the organs for basic function. And I think this must be a joke, but dad hub vlog said trumpets looking youthful and dapper, probably because he knew I would just put this in here. Anna Hassel already winning the quiz. Says the Mercedes new nose looked like a platypus and uh, blackout 19 yet again, making a bid with the Y250 vortex is where spanners and F1 have a significant separation. Well, that's not going to win, is it? If you directly attack me. (laughs) I don't know. Paul Wright says Summers has become my wife. I love him, but don't listen. And then making a late play from the back of the grid, Sam Watley says, Stroll does the Joker laps, or did I misunderstand? Okay, we've got to give it to the first one, though, about the digestive tract, haven't we? Who did that one? That was Teo Kalinskakit, I think. Easy for you to say. I just said it. It's probably entirely wrong. I've not seen him in the chat room before, but congratulations. You are this week's winner of Comment of the Week. Comment of the week. Okay, guys, we're going to get out of here, but please make sure you tune into Downforce Radio. This is Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station for e radio show after the Paris E Prix on Monday night. Matthew and Chris Stevens are going to talk about that race. I'm hoping for something a little bit better than the Monaco Epri. I'm sure we'll get it in Paris. I'm absolutely sure of it. Still loving that series, Monaco aside. Uh, but also they do some tin tops. 
uh, Chris Stevens on Lean Angle Podcast as well. Catch up with Summers uh, at SummersF1 on Twitter and at motorsport.com. Follow me at Spanners Ready and follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Guys, there's a waffle cast coming up. And there's an episode where I have a chat for an hour in the shed with Joe Sayward of GP Plus Magazine and Joe Bloggs F1. Until next time and the Monaco GP race review. Remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Tech Time. Oh no, that's the end of Tech Time. I listened to most of that. Oh, the tyre squirt. Oh, the Y255K Vortex Mortio. To just remove all confusion, that wasn't Summers just then. That was actually me. Just to remove all doubt. Thanks, man. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market normally being a little extra might be a bit much but not when it comes to health care that's why united Healthcare's health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com